Hello, hello. Hello again. Well, we made it to another Sunday, another installment of a series that we're going through. So last week we started a series in First Corinthians, uh, not First Corinthians, ha, uh, in the letter Second Corinthians in the New Testament, and um, I wasn't feeling very imaginative, and so I just figured we're doing an expository series, just looking at what the text says and how it applies to our life, and so I figured let's just call it what it is. We're going to read through Second Corinthians and see what the Lord has for us. Amen. So, just as a point of review, last week we we talked about the process of comfort because one of the major themes in Second Corinthians is the idea of comfort, where the first letter to the Corinthians that we have in the Scripture, it is a letter of correction. There was some bad stuff going on, and so Paul, as the, the church planter of that church in Corinth, he wanted to let them know where he stood on things and how they needed to shape up. And so in a series of things, he, he had gone and visited, then he wrote a letter, which is lost to us now. That would have been a third letter to Corinth. And then we have the second letter in our, in our scriptures today. That is what would have been the fourth letter that scholars believe that Paul would have written to the church in Corinth. Um, and so last week, we learned that God is our source for comfort in suffering, and how no matter what we're going through, God is there as a source of comfort to us. So last week, uh, as Paul opens his letter, he opens with the greeting, the salutation, saying, grace and peace to you from God our Father through the Lord Jesus Christ, and how we learned that grace and peace actually, uh, if we were to dig into those different terms and what they mean for our life, they really shape and form our Christian experience. And so those are really important. Those are good to uh, have at the forefront of the letter, even as Paul gets off into the weeds and in some of the you know, different details that will go on. The first and foremost thing he wants them to know is that grace and peace are theirs. It's given to them by God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. We also learn that it's a gift when God is your only option, because Paul, he goes into this detail just referencing the fact that he had been in the region of Asia Minor uh, for a time in the city of Ephesus, and things were not going well uh, for him there. He was imprisoned, he was beaten, um, even as a Roman citizen, there was some shady stuff going down about all that. And so he references this as this is a point of suffering for him where he felt like he was almost to the point of death. And yet he remembers how he was forced in that place to rely on God. He couldn't rely on any kind of eloquence, any kind of uh, bravado that he may have had. He had to rely on the Lord, and that was something that he reminded the Corinthians of right at the onset of his letter. So you can go to the next slide. Today, we're going to be doing another talk where the title for today's message is Living Resolute. 
living resolute. And our main passage is 2 Corinthians 1, 12 through 22. And our big idea is that God enables us to stand firm and be faithful people. It's not just us doing it on our own. It's God who enables us to stand firm and be faithful people. Now, to kind of give us some context for today, you can go to the next slide. I want to just kind of set before us the picture of who's writing, who he's writing to, and what's going on. And so uh, this letter was written by the Apostle Paul. He was an apostle who he hadn't been like Peter and, and James and Bartholomew and all those great guys. Um, he hadn't literally walked with Jesus, but he was chosen by Jesus uh, through that road to Damascus experience that he had. And you can look that up in the book of Acts. Um, now, with the Apostle Paul, by this point in his journey, he's on his third missionary journey. Uh, scholars think he was probably in the city of Philippi at that time. But what's important is he's an old man by, by uh, ancient standards. Uh, no offense to anybody who might be at or above this level, but he was in his 50s, and it was, a, it was hard 50s. I mean... He had been through the ringer um, for his faith because he had made it a point of his life to, to do what God had given him to do, which was to spread the gospel to the non-Jewish people all over the world. And so he was going to be that person who was going to take the gospel to them, which he did. And he was faithful to it, uh, even in the times when it was difficult, even in the times when he was literally beaten for his faith, literally imprisoned. Lots of um, goings on in the Apostle Paul's life. You can read more about that in the book of Acts. Uh, you'll hear me say that a lot because uh, there's a guy named Luke who uh, recorded down the, the goings on of the early church in what we call the book of Acts. It's right after the Gospel of John in our New Testament scriptures. And so, um, a lot of that material kind of chronicles what Paul went through on his different missionary journeys and how he spread the gospel to the non-Jewish people. And so, for Paul, what's really important to note is that early on in life, he would have been a rather Im impressive individual. He was trained up as a Pharisee. He would have had uh, all the look good on so to speak, where he was, I mean, he, he lived righteous and holy as best he knew how, according to the traditions that he had adopted from uh, teachers of his. And so he really did his best to follow God's law to the nth degree. Um, the problem was that as life progressed and as he followed Jesus, we would like to think, like our American version of the gospel tends to go like you meet Jesus and then everything is all sunshine and rainbows. That's not how it was for the Apostle Paul. It was hard. It was a hard road for him to go down. It was hard for him to live for Jesus. Um, it was easy in the fact that he was resolute, that he, he had his face set, that he knew he was going to do what God told him to do, but it was hard because I don't know about you, but I've never had to be in a place of real actual, literal persecution for my faith. 
yeah, people might have made fun of me at some point. People may have given me the cross-eyed stare like, what? <laughs> what do you think about that? Um, or, you know, different, you know, social, social things, but not nearly to the level that Paul and even some of our brothers and sisters around the world face each and every day for their faith. Now, why this is all important is because the people in the city of Corinth, they were kind of an opulent crowd. What I mean by that is that they were an affluent people, and they placed a really high value on an outward show of their faith. Um, and so, for example, in the first letter we have to the Corinthians, um, Paul addresses the fact that there were people in the church at Corinth who were arguing over who was the better apostle, him or this guy named Apollos. And Paul is like, you're messing it up all together. That's not the point at all. <laughs> and it was all because Apollos happened to be a better rhetorician. He was good at public speaking. He would have been very charismatic, very much like you would look at that guy and think, ah, the Lord is with him. But then you look at Paul, frail little Paul, kind of like hunched in a corner after like, you know, kind of maybe, I, I don't know if he was actually this way, but like, you know, maybe like his back was a little, you know, out of whack because he needed a chiropractor and it didn't exist back then. And, you know, um, you see the Apostle Paul and he is in rough shape. And so the people at Corinth, they favored pastors and ministers like Apollos and people who were polished really had their stuff together. And then there's Paul where uh, we'll learn later on in the letter that people were making fun of the fact that he didn't, he wasn't that eloquent of a speaker, which is, let me be honest, it's really hard to believe because his written stuff, amazing. Like, I, I was tempted, uh, we're not going to, but I was, going, <laughs> I was tempted to use uh, the certain version of the Bible because you're able to like see the syntax on how he frames his argument, and it's just brilliant. Um, I love Paul, if you can't tell. Um, but mostly I love Paul because of just how real Paul is with people, and yet he still aims for that, that level of being resolute for the Lord and set apart for him. And so, uh, again, um, it's a letter of cover, uh, comfort to the people at Corinth. Um, and we're in a section, if you remember last week, where uh, there's certain chunks of the letter that we could kind of frame in a cer certain sort of theme or, or that kind of thing. And this is the, the area of reconciliation where Paul is kind of He's setting the story straight with the people at Corinth. He's, um, he's wanting to be reconciled to them and also pointing us to a reconciliation that Christ has already paid for us. So, all good so far? Good, awesome. With that in mind, let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. If you'd like to follow along on the screen with me, that's okay too. 2 Corinthians 1, beginning in verse 12. Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. He says, We can say with confidence and a clear conscience that we lived with a God-given holiness in sincerity 
in all our dealings. We have depended on God's grace, not on our own human wisdom. That is how we have conducted ourselves before the world, and especially toward you. Our letters have been straightforward, and there is nothing written between the lines, and nothing you can't understand. I hope someday you will fully understand us, even if you don't understand us now. Then on the day when the Lord Jesus returns, you will be proud of us in the same way we are proud of you. Since I was so sure of your understanding and trust, <laughs> I wanted to give you a double blessing by visiting you twice, first on my way to Macedonia and again when I return from Macedonia. Then you could send me on my way to Judea. You may be asking why I changed my plan. Do you think I make my plans carelessly? <laughs> uh, do you think I'm like people of the world who say yes when they really mean no? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you does not waver between yes and no. For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preached to you. And as God's ultimate yes... He always does what he says. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes, and through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. It is God who enables us, along with you, to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us, and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised. Amen. The first thing I see in our passage is living by God's grace with holiness and sincerity. So here's Paul, <clears throat> and right away he's, he's launching into a defense of his actions, because people had heard from Paul in his letter, I'm going to come through Macedonia, and I'm going to meet with you, and it's going to be great. And he had communicated to them this certain plan. But then, as life goes, plans changed. And so, even though, as Paul mentions, he meant to go twice to be a double blessing to them, he didn't get to. Uh, and there was reasons why there was that way. Now, what's fascinating to me is that in verse 12, he says, with confidence and a clear conscience, uh, we have lived with a God-given holiness and sincerity in all our dealings. That means that for Paul, uh, so the idea of holiness, it's a big topic we're not going to cover the whole big topic today, but a very basic understanding of holiness is the state of being set apart to something. And so in the case of our faith, we are set apart to God. And when our actions are consistent with that state of being set apart to God, we are living in holiness. Make sense? Crystal clear as med? Okay. So then... 
Um, but then we get, he's saying, we live with a God-given holiness. It's not something that Paul just did on his own. It's something that came from the Lord. And not only that, but a sincerity. He meant to do it. It's something he intended to do. He, he meant what he said. And so this makes me think of how there are people in life where, and maybe you're one of them, and maybe I am too at times, where sometimes maybe a red flag comes up and it's like, whoa, hold on. Let me get my magnifying glass out. What's really going on here? And Paul is, he's defending himself by saying, look, this is how I lived in front of you and in front of the world. Even under the scrutiny of a magnifying glass. Another picture that I had for this was the idea of living in a fishbowl. Uh, but I couldn't find the right fishbowl to put on the screen. But how, you know, you're in a fishbowl, and maybe you have, like, neighbors who are in other fishbowls. And the beautiful thing about a fishbowl versus an aquarium is that there's no place to hide <laughs> in a fishbowl. Um, and what's fascinating about that whole image and the magnifying glass is that there are people in our lives who... They see our witness of how we live, the good and the bad, when you fly off the handle at your kids, okay? Being real, now, like, man, whew, yeah. So, like, <laughs> there's times when there's kind of an intense moment in my home, and sometimes I regret having the windows wide open so all my neighborhood can hear <laughs> me discipline my children. And so... Um, but that being said, you know, uh, when, we're, uh, when we're out in the community or that kind of thing, that's one of the reasons I don't like having one of those, like, Jesus fish ichthus bumper stickers on my car because I learned a long time ago that sometimes those people who have those on their car, sometimes they don't obey the traffic signs. Um, and sometimes, and maybe, I don't want to obey the traffic signs either. And so sometimes, I don't want people to think badly about me being a Christian. But my point is, oh man, we're getting real. So, but what's fascinating about Paul is that he kind of brings it all together. And he's essentially saying, look, I am the same at all times. As best as I know how, I am living transparently with you so that as I am with the world, I am with you, and vice versa. And I'm just living consistent with how God has, has transformed my life, and I'm consistent with that. So you can go to the next slide. This makes me think about in application where, you know, what would our action be? What would our commitment to be in light of what we learn here of Paul saying he's living by God's grace with holiness and sincerity? It's God's work, and he's able to do these things. What do we do with that? You can go to the next slide. So an application point would be that we will let God develop his character in our lives. And what comes to mind for me, and I don't want to um, amplify the illustration too much, um, but there's a branch of the military um, where their motto is Semper Fi, which is short for Semper 
fidelis, which in Latin evidently means, if you look it up, uh, is always faithful. But usually, I've never been in the military myself. I, I honor and respect those of you who have um, and those of you who have family members who have. But oftentimes, you don't start there. <gasps> Maybe you do a little bit, but sometimes you start where like you're just kind of a snot-nosed kid who thinks you got the world figured out and your drill sergeant tells you, you really don't. <laughs> right? Um, and, and so you go through what they call basic training, and for the Marines, it happens to be far longer than the other branches of the military, because why not? Um, and that process is a breaking down of self and building you back up into this Marine. Now, how that applies to the Christian life, I'm not making the jump into, we're in the Lord's army. That's not where we're going with this. The point is development. In the Marines and other uh, 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 programs and things like them, there is a process of development. There is a path that you take that you are led through in your division uh, to then be develop that character within you so that when you are in the heat of battle, that motto of Semper Fi and all the other values that go along with it it is default. It is inside of you like nothing else, right? And so, in the same way, I would submit to you that holiness is a similar thing, where God, that is a characteristic of God that he wants to develop in yours and my life today. And so, as a commitment, as an application, could it be that we would let God develop his character in our lives? And if that's not our position, what's holding us back? Let's continue. So the next thing I see in our passage is an affirming of God's faithfulness to keep his promises. An affirming of God's faithfulness to keep his promises. So like I said, the big complaint against Paul by the Corinthians was, but you didn't come to my party. You said you were coming over to my house. You didn't come over to my house. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever been there with your kids, some of you who are older and you have millennials like me for children, and, um, and they don't want to offend you, and so they say, maybe, when what they really mean is no. <laughs> but they don't want to let you down, mom and dad, and so they say, they don't say a solid yes, but they say maybe. That's a clue into the millennial generation and on down. Now, for Paul, though, he was sincere. Like he said, he, he meant to go to Corinth twice. It just didn't happen. But the Corinthians, they were wanting to rake him over the coals for this and be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hospitality says you make that appointment, bud. And he, he didn't keep it for all the reasons why he didn't keep it. Now, <clears throat> in here, in this section between verses 15 and 20, Paul starts to liken his experience with, in, in, in the way he tried to practice faithfulness to being true to his word, with how Jesus is faithful. And so, if we were to look in verse, uh, which is it? 
um, verse 18, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you does not waver between yes and no. There's no maybe. If Paul means no, he says no. If he means yes, he says yes, right? So now, in verse 19, for Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. Paul is following Jesus' example in this. He's wanting to make sure that his yes is yes and his no is no, and there is a clarity and a surety to what he says. And this reminds me of kind of like a pulling back of the curtain, this kind of moment in the letter where Paul is cluing them in on this is both what my experience literally was, where I planned to do this and it, it just didn't happen the way I had planned it. Um, but not only that, but he's kind of pulling back the curtain for you to see how, hey, I'm living transparent. This is, I want to be transparent and so I'm being transparent with you. I try to have my yes be yes and I try my have my no be no. And so I'm just, I'm not trying to put on a front for you. I want you to know what's behind the curtain. Like the Wizard of Oz, pay no attention to what the man behind the curtain, right? He's not doing that. He's literally saying, look, let me pull this back for you. Let me show you what's really going on. And he likens it to how Jesus himself is God's ultimate yes. And there's a whole lot in that idea, but how God, he had all these promises that he had made to his people and even to the world through the prophets. And God was basically saying, I said it, and yes, I'm doing it. Jesus is the ultimate yes. And our response to that, us responding in faith to that, saying amen to that, is like us saying yes to God's yes. And so for Paul, he is... He's making the connection there between this idea of, of singularity of mind and purpose and all of that. You can go to the next slide. So this all reminds me of the idea of walking because to walk, you have to, there's a certain uh, uh, way of motion, range of motion where uh, there's the phrase, I'm sure you've heard it before, of walking the talk. That if you say you're going to do something, you sure as better try to do it, right? That's the whole idea that, uh, of, of being true to your word. And so if we were to apply this to our lives, kind of taking a cue from the Boy Scouts, we will do our best to walk the talk and bring God glory through that. That doesn't mean that we're going to ace it every time. There are going to be times that we fail, there's going to be times I fail. There's going to be times you do too. But we do our best, and when we, when we don't, we ask God's forgiveness, we repent, and then we keep walking. We keep endeavoring to honor Jesus as the ultimate yes through our response and through walking that out in our lives. You can go to the next slide. And so this all brings to kind of a capstone moment where um, Paul says something really interesting in, the, in verses 21 and 22. We, it doesn't come up so much in the New Living Translation, but if you were to look at like the English Standard Version, it feels very much like a legal contract, and that's by design. He's basically, he's, 
He's using the form of legal terms to describe how God enables us to stand firm, to live resolute, to be sure that we're sure that we're sure that we are doing our best to walk as the Lord would have us walk. And so I learn from our passage that there's a guaranteeing that uh, <laughs> guaranteeing all God has promised with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit becomes this guarantee. Now, let's unpack some of the legal language. So even in verse 21, where it says, to stand firm for Christ, some of your translations might just even have it just as a command of stand firm, therefore, kind of thing. That is a legal term that it confirms that the sale was valid. It's like having, uh, not to get too far ahead, but like a, a validation that you can take this to the bank, it is valid. Then there's the term uh, commissioned in the New Living Translation. Some of your, your English translations might say anointed. Um, and this is a, a picture of how uh, the kings in the Old Testament were anointed for a certain purpose. And so you poured oil over the kings and that set them apart for this certain thing. And so in scripture, the image of oil and the Holy Spirit kind of go hand in hand together. But this idea of anointing, how, um, how Christ has commissioned us. Um, and in verse 22, he's identified us and he's placed in us the Holy Spirit. And so in some of your translations that might say sealed with the Holy Spirit, but the point here is that we get to the point where there's an installment or a deposit of the Holy Spirit inside our hearts and lives. Now, why all this is important is because we get this picture where there is something that we participate and partake of now that is a promise that God is going to fulfill his end of the bargain later. I hate using that term, sorry. But where he's going to fulfill his word later, that he has said he's going to do this, and then there's going to be a fulfillment. And this gives me the picture of a wedding ring. How when, uh, uh, for us guys, when we go to propose, we get the ring, made, lots of butterflies in the stomach, and you go and, and you go to your gal and you, you get down on one knee and you hopefully say something really inspired. Um, but what you're doing by offering this token, this symbol of your undying love and loyalty to your bride is that you're saying, here is a deposit, an engagement ring that we're going to get married. Beyond just a promise ring, this is like the real deal. <laughs> and, so, um, and so then in tradition, in practice, usually uh, there's a wedding band that you put on at the wedding ceremony, right? And maybe, maybe so. Maybe not for you. Um, but anyway, so that's the picture that I got as best I could of, you know, beyond just like a pop bottle deposit kind of idea. But how that all relates to the Holy Spirit is that through our faith in Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit in our lives. And Him living inside of us is a deposit guarantee that God is faithful and true to fulfill his promise for salvation. 
And why that's important is because for Paul, he's going through all manner of stuff that, that's, you know, coming at him and everything. What does he cling to for hope in those moments? What do you cling to for hope in those moments? What Paul would suggest is that what we cling to in our faith is that the Holy Spirit's with us. He's got us. He's inside of us. And he is there as a guarantee that God is faithful and true to fulfill his word and to keep it. You can go to the next slide. And so as an application point to stand firm, that idea that God enables us to stand firm and be faithful people is that if the Holy Spirit is that deposit guarantee for you and me, that means that we will or we should trust God to bring about his purposes in our lives. Now, what that means is it's kind of like this picture of standing firm, square on, you know, solid foundation uh, on a mountaintop or something. That's also kind of a scary place to be. But where you're on firm footing, where you know that you've put your faith and your trust that this ledge is not going to go out from underneath you. And... <laughs> And because you have the Holy Spirit, you have that confidence that God is faithful to bring it about in your life. Why that's important is because sometimes as we go throughout our day-to-day, -day, there are things that come up where it's really rough. And even in the good times, maybe, there's, maybe it's not as good as it, it could be, and maybe there's some disappointment that creeps in. I don't know about you, sometimes that happens for me. And I think what Paul is getting at is that God is the one who enables us to stand firm. It's not me trying to white knuckle through it and make sure that I don't slip up, but it's me relying on God for that strength and that endurance to make it through. Because I can stand firm, I can know that it's validated because the Holy Spirit's with me. And he's with you through faith. Let's pray.